Welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and this podcast is your guide to start creating a lifestyle by design. From entrepreneurship, money and finance, taxes and residencies, and everything in between, this show highlights the nuances of a true global citizen lifestyle. Let's dive in. Christoph, welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. Let's start off with hearing a little bit more about you, your story, where you started, and how you got to where you are today. Yes, I've been a digital nomad for many years. There is one point in time where I would say when I legally started in terms of signing off from my home country, giving up tax residency, getting rid of everything that casts a shadow and does not fit into my suitcase, that was in 2017. Since then, I'm a perpetual. I love it. Okay, so you mentioned that. I have to ask you, where were you from? Where was your tax residency? And then what did that journey, a very brief summary of what that journey looked like for you? Because I've also gone through that as well. Yes, of course. I'm fortunate enough to be a national of a country that does not tax their citizens based on the citizenship. I mean, there are just two countries in the world that actually do that. Um, but mine is European. I'm German citizen by, by birth. So I'm born and raised in southwestern Germany, used to live in Berlin for 10 years. And then when 2017, it was actually surprisingly easy compared to the complexity of German bureaucracy and taxation, especially how, how actually easy it is to sign off where you just walk into the authority building and tell them like, Hey guys, I'm leaving the country. And then you even get no questions asked, a nice A4 paper certificate with a stamp that it's your official German Weltbescheinigung. And uh, that's the proof of being a non-resident. And then with all this public service act, you are also deregistered from the tax authority. Wow, that sounds almost too easy to be honest, which I love for you, but I'm like, maybe it's changed in recent years. Who knows, you know, with governments trying to really <laughs> keep their citizens in. Actually, not at all, because this is, it is based on something that is more complex under the surface. And if I tell it this way to Germans, they also don't believe. I don't know how, how it's in Canada, but in German speaking countries in Europe, so including Switzerland, Austria, Germany, and some other countries as well. Whenever you move somewhere, um, so when you move within the country to another uh, municipality, you register your new address. That means the first thing you legally need to do within the first 14 days of moving into the new place, you need to go to the municipality and register that you are now living in another place. You even have on the German ID card um, your legally registered address um, written on the back. So you get a sticker on that with the new address. And that means on the one side, it sounds a bit ridiculous for people from countries that don't have that, but it makes some sense in a way that, for example, if we have elections, you don't need to register for, for a list of voters or something because the government knows who you are and where you're living. So you get automatically sent a notification of the, of the election and on a, on a piece of paper where you can also then request paper it's like mail ballots to to vote from home or from somewhere else or you take that and go to the polling station so in in this term it's much easier but in other countries even in europe like in france or in the uk there is nothing like this registration system 
whenever there is an election coming up, uh, every voter needs to register for that. But this also means that leaving the country legally and especially tax-wise from those countries is much more complex. But within the European Union, where there is a framework of freedom of movement, actually, it is a common thing among digital nomads when they come from Italy, from France, from Spain, where they are not being let out of the tax system before proving that they have become a taxpayer somewhere else. So what these people then just do is they take their freedom of movement and their European citizenship and go to a country like Germany or even up here in the north in Estonia, where I'm right now, it's the same. You just go there, you register as a resident, and then basically the next moment in, in Germany, the next week, you will have a letter in that letterbox of the place where you registered to with your new German tax ID. And that you take them to your home municipality in France, in Italy, and tell them like, look, I'm a taxpayer of Germany now. Then they let you out. And then the next day you go back to the German authority and tell them, plans have changed, sorry. I'm leaving the country again, deregister, get your deregistration certificate. And that's how it works. Now, of course, we're going to be diving into in this episode, travel insurance. That is what you are all about. But before we're going to that, since we're on this topic and since you are wearing a shirt that says e-residency, let's hear a little bit more about where you are a resident now quickly and what that process looked like for you, because I know that country was one of the first countries, if not the first to offer e-residency. So when I signed off from Germany and I am and also a little bit about professional background. You mentioned already, I'm an insurance broker. I'm specialized in health insurance. The legacy business that I started back in 2010 is a brokerage on the German market that is specialized in children's health insurance. It's a domestic topic, but we have developed our team of aides fully paperless and remote from the beginning. And that was what allowed myself to work from wherever I want and then to ultimately sign off and, and leave Germany. And from that point in time, I needed another jurisdiction for my personal holding company and my business week. And I chose Estonia for a ton of reasons. The first one was the ease of doing business, the completely digitized public service sector. The entire country runs, runs fully digital. And the other one was taxation. I guess we will come to that in a bit as well. But e-residency does not mean residency. It's basically an electronic access to, to the country's uh, public services and digital legal system. So it's nothing else than a chip card that is a digital identity document. It's not a travel document. It doesn't give you any residency rights or tax obligations as an individual. It is just your digitality card with which you can sign on to or log into government portals, the tax and customs board website, the company register, and it allows you to digitally sign any kind of agreement or contract. That means you can sign contracts between individuals, but also you sign tax declarations and the most common use case and most attractive one, register a business. So current world record is 15 minutes and 33 seconds to get a legal entity up and running in Estonia. I know that that's so precisely because one, I'm one of the three co-founders of the company that has actually set this record, but that would be another topic for an entire uh, podcast. Just quickly wrapping up my story. So I decided for Estonia as the base for my personal holding company. 
And then over that, totally fell in love with the country. I realized that there is so much more behind this blue cord than just a legal um, jurisdiction and, and tax framework. That there is an entire country behind that with beautiful nature, a mentality that I really, really love, and culture, music, just an amazing place. And I enjoy coming back every summer now. I would love to hear about what are some of the tax benefits of you are actually a resident there. And it's funny that you mentioned the e-residency because it was very misleading for me. It was a few years back, but when I first heard about it and I was looking into it, it's not true residency. So I feel like that name is a little bit misleading. But really quickly, what are some of the tax benefits that you get as an individual for your business, whatever that may look like, um, before we dive into travel insurance for anybody listening who may be looking to optimize their own tax situation as a nomad? So first, you need to understand that there are two different layers of taxation uh, when you do business and especially when you become location independent. One is the taxation, usually corporate income tax of the business that you run. And the other one is your personal income tax. And unless you are a citizen of the U.S. or Eritrea, you will, your, your personal tax situation is related to your place of residency, not to your citizenship. That means if you do not have any residency or a country where you spend more than half of the year, you can fully legally have not a tax residency and not be obliged to pay personal income tax anywhere in the world. This is not gray zone or dodgy or anything. So every country, except US and Eritrea's income tax law state who is subject to this. And there is a, there might be differing or more sophisticated definitions of that. But the rule of thumb is it people living in that country for most of the year. And that's a little bit simplified. So and this is not tax advice. You need to look into the certain circumstances of the country you're visiting or spend most of your time. But this is the rule of thumb. Means if you are a fast moving target, if you're a digital nomad who is spending less than a month or less than two months in each place and then moves around to other countries, there is a probability that you can get a status where you are not a taxpayer on the personal. But if you want to conclude business and if you want to get, get business with other businesses, they need a proper invoice from you that needs to meet certain criteria. That means you need to have a registered company somewhere. And you can choose the place where you set up this company by all the criteria that play a role in your industry and for your personal business strategy. And in case, if you have a long-term approach to your business, if you want to build your own wealth for your retirement and, or if you do business with in the European Union, so if you need access to this huge single market here and you have transactions in euros, whether on the buying or on the selling side of your business, then Estonia has something quite attractive on the table which means it's the only country in Europe and one of the very rare countries in the world that have a deferred profit taxation, which means, so there is a tax rate of 20%. That doesn't sound too low, but it actually is. If you understand what deferred, pro deferred profit taxation means, that is as long as money stays inside the company is being reinvested into whatever, just not distributed as dividends to you as the shareholder. There is no taxation whatsoever, only at the point in time when you actually pay out dividends to your personal account as the shareholder, then this 20% deferred profit taxation is applied. And if that is a long time down the road, 
and you have a rough understanding of compound interest that makes the Estonian company the perfect investment vehicle for a lifetime. Let's chat about insurance. So my first question is, what is the difference between travel insurance and health insurance? I think when somebody is starting out on their travel digital nomad journey, these two terms can get very mixed up and it can be somewhat of a severe situation to buy the wrong insurance. So first, what are the differences between those two? Health insurance covers you with an unlimited duration for the rest of your life. And if it's a global or an international health insurance, it covers you wherever you are. While travel insurance is something that only works on top of a health insurance back in your home country, or at least an eligibility for public health care in the country of your citizenship, if this exists. So for you as a Canadian, for example, a, having a travel insurance, uh, which usually is limited to a certain period of time um, for, for up to a year, the better ones you can buy in the market go for up to two years or in certain jurisdictions, you can buy travel insurance for up to five years, long-term travel at a time. And they usually cost you less than a hundred bucks a month. And this is already a rule of thumb. If it costs less than a hundred bucks a month, it's not health insurance. It's just a travel insurance or something very, very basic. Because true health insurance, of course, it depends on your age and other factors like pre-existing conditions and the, the destinations you go to. But a good health insurance for someone in their late 20s, early 30s, and let's say excluding USA as the most expensive healthcare place in the world, should cost you something between 200 and 300 bucks a month. Now, if it costs you less than 100, then it's most probably only travel insurance. And travel insurance means it will pay, and I mean the, the medical part of travel insurance, I'm not talking about like what's luggage and delayed flights and stuff, uh, will pay for the, the quick and easy emergencies in the country where you are. So the typical motorbike accident in Thailand with maybe a broken leg and some bruises and stuff that can be treated on the ground within a couple of days, that's covered by travel insurance. But as soon as something more severe happens, so if you in that motorbike accident, maybe get more than a severe concussion, you might end up in, in coma in the ICU and you need to be subject to a severe and long-term treatment. What travel insurance does in that case is repatriate you. It will airlift you back home for treatment back in your home country. And if you are not eligible for a real health insurance back in your home country, then, then you can save the money on the travel insurance in the first place because you're pretty much in trouble. So this brings me to a question of a situation, rather not a question, but really a situation that I was in when I first, when I first started traveling, I was an expat. I was living in China and I bought a particular like nomad advertises nomad health insurance. And I had a problem. I got it fixed. I went to the hospital and then they paid out the, the money, the cost. It wasn't like an enormous cost or anything like that, the insurance. And then I had to have ongoing appointments and care. And that was when they said, oh, we only cover two weeks of the care for this particular, you know, this situation that happened. And then after two weeks, then 
you're done basically. And I was, that was the first time that I ever had a negative experience. And so now whenever I go to different insurance providers, I always ask them, you know, is it something that is long-term if the issue is something that is going to need ongoing care? And recently I had somebody say to me, if it's chronic, it is not covered. So I guess that would be under more of the healthcare insurance. But if it's not chronic, then it will continue to be covered for as long as your policy is valid or if you continue to renew your policy. That really depends. Uh, Chronic stuff is usually always excluded in travel insurance. Because this is also not made for people who live a infinite location independent life. This is made for travelers. So, and travelers means like people that are leaving their whole country for a certain period of time to go on a nomadic adventure or to, to, to backpack through Southeast Asia for a couple of months with the intention to return back home. And that's also the underlying paradigm that helps you to understand why your travel insurance covers you for two weeks and then not anymore because the travel insurance says like, if you are a traveler and you have something severe enough that it needs an ongoing treatment, go back home for that. You're, why would you do that and undergo this treatment while you're still traveling? That doesn't make sense from the perspective of someone who insures people that are only traveling um, a, a home basis uh, they go back to. Um, the- at this point, I, I, uh, to, to go full circle on the, uh, my story and what we are doing now and how it came to where I am, because this might some more things. It's coming from the e-residency story, as you have heard earlier, one of the biggest fanboy of this Estonian e-residency program. And so I was sharing this a lot when I traveled the uh, world the uh, last couple of years. So I I'm, was holding workshops and co-working spaces where I liked the community and wanted to give something back. I was working uh, twice at the legendary Nomad Summit in Chiang Mai, back uh, in the days in 19, uh, 19 and, and in 2020 in January before uh, broke loose. And so often at these kind of events, people approached me and said like, yeah, I got this e-residency story and they really liked that I was not telling it as someone who earns money with it, who is selling it or working for the government or something, but just as a user. Um, now, in the last five years, average per year uh, incorporated one new company in Estonia. So it's a bit like going to the tattoo artist for the first time. It will not be the last time. It makes you, you want more. And uh, the last company that I uh, started in Estonia was actually then a new insurance brokerage specialized in global health and travel insurance for long-term travelers for location independent entrepreneurs for remote teams and basically digital nomads. Because many people often ask me like after my e-residency workshops, like, Hey, uh, I mentioned you're an expert in health insurance. Maybe you can help me with my global setup here. And at the beginning we did that through our German licensed brokerage firm. Insurance distribution is for good reasons, a regulated industry where you need to have license. Uh, watch out for that as well. Not all people in this market do have the necessary license, but maybe we have time to come back to that in a bit. But uh, we did that our, under our German license and then decided to tackle the topic strategically, set up a new company that is only dedicated for global health and travel insurance uh, uh, by the Estonian Financial Supervision Authority pretty much two years ago. And I stepped down from the board of our German company later that year in 2021 to fully focus on the international business. And since then, 
with our company here, we have established a coverage agreement with basically all players in the market that play roles. So all the names that you that you know, Signa Global Health, Allian, uh, Generali, Passport Card, Foyer Global Health, just to name a few, um, have them all in our portfolio. But as brokers, we don't represent these companies. We represent our clients towards these companies. So our legal position is being like an attorney of the insured people towards the insurance company. It's like your additional layer of expertise on your side, not only when it comes to the conclusion of the contract, but also the enforcement of claims, for example. So uh, the situation that you mentioned earlier, if it goes through us, first point in con of contact, we can make sure that the wording for your claim is, let's say, aligned with the policy because we are on your side. We don't fight as the insurance company try to fight off your claim, but we help you to make sure uh, that you don't look yourself into something because you didn't read the policy before. Our job is to know the policies and make sure that you're not uh, telling something that puts you in a, in a worse position. That's so important because there's so many different nomad travel different types of insurances out there for people who live a lifestyle like we do. But when there's so many options, it becomes overwhelming. You know, what is the best one? What are some of the benefits and the cons of each? So in saying that, what are some important questions or things to keep in mind when you are shopping around for an insurance? Of course, it does vary depending on your lifestyle. But what are some things that you should be asking when you're getting on the phone, when you're looking for a new, whether it be travel or health insurance? Do you help with both of those? We do travel insurance, uh, Lee, at first, if it's long-term travel, so at least half a year minimum. And also, if it's very clear to the person buying the travel insurance that this only works on top of a health insurance bag at home. So for people that sign off from their own country and lose the eligibility for any uh, comprehensive health insurance coverage back in your own country, whether a public or a private one, for those travel insurance doesn't work. So it's not enough. You, you, you can save the money for the travel insurance because we will basically not have health insurance if you only have travel insurance and nothing back home. So there are a bunch of people for who in the digital nomad sphere of meaning people that live a long-term term location independent lifestyle for who travel insurance is still good enough. And that's people of countries where the public healthcare system actually is not based on a direct contribution, but is coming from the, the state fund uh, budget, like in the UK with the NHS. Every person who has a British passport and returns back to the uh, Great Britain has coverage by the NHS just due to the fact of being a citizen of that country. It's similar in Sweden. It's similar in uh, but most other countries, including Germany, if you sign off from that country and you don't contribute to the social security system anymore, you're not covered. Um, still means if you return as a OMA patient airlifted by a travel insurance for treatment, of course, doctors will treat you. You will not be let dying in the street like you would be in the U.S. if your coverage is not cleared before you enter the, the hospital. So doctors in Europe will treat you, but they will ask for the money for it. Um, if the public system doesn't cover you, then you wake up out of the coma a couple of months later, and then you will be presented with the bill. You fall back into coma right away. 
to understand that this market is on the one side, very diverse and on the other side, uh, super competitive. So among all the names mentioned, there is none that offers the very same for much cheaper or at the same price level, something much better. Um, see a huge price difference or a huge difference in coverage. You need to be careful because it's, uh, must be a catch somewhere else. So, uh, so make sure that you compare apples with apples and uh, the trick is actually to find the best possible coverage, for example, depending on the destinations where you go to, because for some reasons, some of the insurance companies uh, make difference there, where some, for example, simplify world regions in pricing zones. It basically says, uh, here Southern America is just one pricing zone for entire Europe, where even within Europe, uh, so Switzerland has almost the same medical or the medical healthcare at this level as the US. So if you go to countries where you know that they are cheaper than their uh, expensive than their peers around, um, to one of the companies that has to simplify pricing sales might be beneficial. Um, it depends on your, your plans on the timeline for how long you want to go to which parts of the world, or if you have the in intention to return back to the whole country one day in future, uh, the country where you come from, or if you want to actually settle somewhere in a country that has a good public healthcare system and you want to go back into this state-run solidarity system, then you can look into a little bit more of short-term solutions. And if you make a conscious decision for a lifelong location independence, you really want to make sure that you mitigate the fact that healthcare costs um, age increases significantly. It's almost like a hockey stick. So uh, just to give you a reference, 50%, statistically 50% of any individual's healthcare costs during a lifetime occurs just in the last two years of that life. Unfortunately, you just never know when these two years have actually already begun. So um, of course there are cases when people are healthy during their entire life and then at just one point in high age. They have a heart attack or a stroke and they're just dead and didn't um, produce any healthcare cost. But these are the lucky ones. So you can bet on that and you can do it. So you cannot outsource health insurance. Um, I, I often come across people, they say like, yeah, I do yoga and I eat vegan um, health insurance. Statistically, pretty stupid. You get the medical risks that don't <laughs> come from... Most of the medical risks don't come, uh, like, I mean, the severe things that really cost money, um, come from a healthy diet or, uh, lifestyle, um, the rare autoimmune diseases, it's infections uh, and, and things like that, that can really cause, uh, term medical treatment necessities. And it's a lot to think about. And I think it's really important because. I feel like healthcare is kind of one of the last things when you think of being a digital nomad and embarking on your travel journey, you're excited and it's fun. And a lot of the time that healthcare gets left in the back burner. And I think for a lot of people, they will go with, you know, some of the big names in the nomad community in travel insurance, particularly mm -hmm. is what they buy because they don't really know what that difference looks like. So I think that's really interesting to consider. In you saying that, what are typically, you mentioned that if the cost, if it's a drastic difference, then really look at the plan because there's probably something in there that's making that drastic difference between the pricing. So what are some average pricings per month that somebody could expect for health insurance, for travel insurance? 
that you see just so people can kind of have a baseline and know, okay, this is probably going to cover everything that I need if it's around this cost per month. Travel insurance that doesn't have any annual limit, especially no limit in repatriation, which is super important. Um, so you're, I'm, I'm now talking about an age bracket of people between the, their forties. After that, things get more expensive. Um, so you less than a hundred euros or dollars a month. Uh, that's long-term travel insurance uh, for travels of up to two years at a time where you can sign up for, for plans. Insurance at this age bracket really depends on the, the coverage level. Um, get it uh, for between 100 uh, or, or euros a month uh, with deductibles and with a limited coverage. Then usually for hospitalization, um, emergency coverage, not for aftercare, not for outpatient coverage, also um, including maternity and childbirth. Um, and this also very important. It's not actually only the risks of maternity and childbirth, but for me now, uh, being socialized for more than 10 years in children's health insurance, um, from experience that actually more babies than you think are being born not healthy. They come with, with pre uh, And uh, the important part of the good health insurance that they automatically cover newborn babies of their own clients without additional medical underwriting, meaning they cover the child in whatever condition it's being born. Um, something, if you have family plans and a long-term location uh, independence, this part, for example, is absolutely crucial that you get a good coverage that includes uh, born baby uh, with additional conditions, uh, contractual conditions. Um, so if you're looking into something that meets these, um, then you're talking about 200 to 300 euros or dollars a month, uh, and depending on uh, the regions where you travel to. If you go to uh, the more inexpensive well, in the world in terms of medical coverage, like in Southeast Asia, you can get it a bit uh, for less. Uh, if you travel Europe, uh, a bit, and if you travel the US, then three times that price. Earlier mentioned, like people often don't think of this uh, mitigation in terms of healthcare when they start out their general medic plans. Um, day-to-day consultation reality. I often talk to people that have these nomadic dreams and these dreams of independence, but don't consider the chronic diseases or pre-existing conditions and are traded and shocked by the thing. And it's not possible to get insurance coverage for them. So, especially if you're coming from a well-organized country with a social system like Canada or, or European countries, then you take a free healthcare for granted and you don't actually realize that this is limited to the borders of the, the territory that, that where you currently live. So any public solidarity system that covers people, including the pre-existing conditions, has its borders in its borders. So if you leave these countries, there is in Europe um, an extend an agreement between the, the countries of the European Economic Area that you would be covered all across Europe for emergencies being treated in public state-owned hospitals all across Europe, but for example, not for anything that is planned or can be planned, um, checkups, like treatments that uh, are planned or even a surgery or something. So this all needs to be uh, performed where you actually do have the coverage. 
So what, what I want to say with this is, um, to health insurance, uh, as would is, uh, an enabler. So if you get this, this box ticked at the beginning of your journey, um, this gives you the freedom and the peace of mind to take risks confidently, which is also the, the claim of our company and, and our website, nomads.insure. This is what we want to allow people to do, take risks confidently because you know you're covered. Um, okay. Like myself, I love adventures. I'm an offshore sailor. I go sailing across oceans for uh, several days at a time, far away from any other human soul or uh, there was at the punk rock festival where I was front and center in the mosh pit. Um, yes, of course, sometimes people get, get a bit more hurt than normal. I came home covered in bruises and I had fun. Um, people might be hesitant because they think if I end up in hospital tonight, um, I would. And that's the thing that we avoid. We hope you to mitigate this risk, finding the right coverage for your life situation, for your medical history, for your family, for the destinations you want to go to. And that is to run a business somewhere, especially if you run a business in Europe, um, we can conclude contracts uh, in your business, which allows you to write that off as business expense. So um, yeah, if you talk to a specialized broker in this field, there is a lot of benefit in, you know, for you, um, when it comes to this risk mitigation. Okay, so my last question, I have a lot of questions, but the last question I'm going to ask you is, I think more of like a technicality, but you mentioned at one point about the countries that you're going to be in. So I know a lot of insurance providers will ask you, what countries are you going to be in? And as a nomad, we often don't know where we're going to be in maybe two months or six months or potentially however long your policy is going to be. You may not know where you're going to be. So is it important to list all of those countries? Are you only covered in the countries that you list? How does that work? Depends on the, the company and the policy. In most cases, when it comes to long-term health insurance, so talking about contract with um, no duration that could technically go with you to the end as long as you pay premiums. So also a thing in health insurance, um, annual plans or annual renewal is not really a thing. Um, the question for the jurisdiction you go to or the country uh, you go is more one that determines the pricing zone that you're in. Um, mean. The companies are quite different. Um, some companies uh, have a list of four or five pricing zones. Um, which of the countries in the world is somewhere falling into one of those zones? And that means if you are, let's say, um, with Foyer Global Health and you decide to mention Thailand, and then that means pricing zone four, the second cheapest, and you are covered um, countries of that pricing zone and cheaper. And company was not a particularly good example because uh, there you actually also um, covered in the higher ones, uh, unless USA and Canada. Uh, but companies like uh, Israeli company called Passport Card, they are a bit uh, worthy here where the, the, the coverage zone and the pricing zone is the same, meaning are covered in, in that zone that you pay for. And in every more expensive zone, you're only covered for trips of up to 60 days for emergencies. So it's basically like a travel insurance. But if that doesn't mean that you cannot stay longer, you would just need to adjust the pricing zone. So you would need to let me as your broker or the insurance company directly know. Like I, I just had a client earlier that was moving uh, on a term basis from, from Mexico to the U.S. with the contract. So we adjusted the pricing zone to uh, the price. Um, 
that's the thing with the U.S. Uh, but uh, um, so he knew in advance. He knew in advance, and uh, delivered uh, U.S. and everywhere else in the world as this is the highest pricing zone. Um, okay, so I guess that really goes to show the importance of having a broker who can work for you because. Let's say I'm traveling to maybe like Japan or somewhere that I can imagine is a little bit more expensive to let you know beforehand, you can raise it for that duration of time and then you can kind of work for that person. So that's really interesting. I've never heard that model before. You really do. I mean, every contract that we conclude with clients goes through a personal consultation. We always have a video call. I know all my clients and we discuss all these types of um, um, with the medical history as well as the travel plans. And when people tell me the, the regions in the world they feel intrigued by or the countries that they want to visit, I already know and make my notes and will let them know in case um, we find an insurance provider you know, that is getting deep questions. But actually, the market is developing and more and more providers come that simplify the pricing zones and the, uh, um, just for uh, a nomad style. And so recently, there were several popping up that just have two uh, price, the world including USA and Canada and the world excluding USA and Canada. And so that means if you go for that, you don't need to adjust anything along. Is there anything else that you want to touch on? Any last words? Anything that you feel that's important that we didn't mention here? Two things. So the first one is um, a broker, especially a specialized one um, that has nomadic experience and know what he or she's talking about. Always pays off. The insurance is not more expensive if there's a broker in between, even though the broker earns money through commissions. The commissions are always part of the uh, calculation of the insurance company, company anyway. And if you conclude the contract with the insurance company directly, the commission amount will just be internally rerouted to their own sales team and marketing channel. So you don't save money by that. The opposite is the case because good brokers pool business um, and uh, bring volume to an insurance company so they get better rates and access to conditions that you would never get into as an individual. So go to a broker, always pays off. And the second thing is if you decide not to and do your own due diligence and uh, find insurance company in the market, there is one important rule of thumb. And as there are quite some black sheep in this market, it's very important to know insurance is regulated just like a casino. There is there are huge parallels between insurance and gambling, because in both cases, a large number of people pays a small amount of money towards the outcome of an unlikely event. Exactly the same in a casino. Everyone wants the jackpot. In insurance, everyone wants to be covered for the, the big. Uh, uh, and so regulation is very, very similar. That means every legitimate insurance provider must make must make clear to you. Where's the company registered? Who is representing this company? Which country's law is applicable? Meaning, how does the complaints process work inside that insurance company, but also which supervision authority would you go to if you have a complaint? And if that fails, at which court in the world would you meet? And if and every legitimate insurance company will provide you that on the first pages of the documents. So if you look into an insurance, uh, sign up for it. And it's not clear to you, is this company, who are you concluding the contract with, who are they represented by, and where would you meet in court? Then it's not because you're too stupid to read insurance documents. It's because this company is actively 
disguising this information and doing some shady offshore or unlicensed business. This is very important to understand. Basic information wow, of financial so education. Uh, I'm with banks and yeah. stuff. But, uh, you know, an insurance pro uh, provider license is basically the same like an illegal casino with a forged machine. Yeah, this has been a really interesting discussion. It's really like hit home for me. And I, I appreciate that you broke down the pricing of how you make your commission as well, because someone's going to make the commission either way. <laughs> so I think that's interesting. So where can people find you and Nomads Insure online? Website is exactly that, nomads.insure. That's how you find our website. You can book a consultation. Uh, they're right at free of cost. So first consultation is just looking into your case and then we'll take it from there. You also find me on LinkedIn, social media. My name is Christoph Hübner, and I'm pretty sure we a link maybe to my profile in the show. Yeah, absolutely. Everything is linked below. Thank you so much. This has been really an interesting conversation for nomads, long-term travelers alike. So I really appreciate it. You've just listened to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. If anything from this episode resonated with you, I would appreciate if you share this podcast on your socials. And of course, be sure to tag me. And don't forget to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me on this global citizen journey, and I'll see you in the next episode.